I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to the New Growth Podcast with Nikki Walton. Join her as she explores divine love as a key to spiritual growth, empowered service, and inner and outer success. If you'd like to support Nikki's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Nikki. Welcome back to New Growth. After you get done listening to this episode, I would love for you to check out my other podcast, Good Mornings with Curly Nikki, also known as God Mornings with Curly Nikki, available on Apple Podcasts. Please listen, subscribe, leave a review, and you can start waking up with me, waking up as love every single day of the week. Monday through Friday, I drop a new episode in each one consists of a different spiritual practice, what I like to call easy access doors into love, into this truth, into this oneness. And so we're just practicing love every morning until, you know, we recognize that we never had to practice it, that we are it. So check it out. Check it out. Join me every morning, every good morning, every God morning. (laughs) Good mornings with Curly Nikki. I'll see you there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of New Growth. I am your host, Nikki Walton, and today I have with me a friend, spiritual messenger, best-selling author of many, 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 many books, and she's bringing the ancient, like spiritual mystics, the some of the Christian mystics that I love, she's bringing them to us in this generation. So please welcome Mirabai Star. Thank you so much for being here with us. Mm, what a privilege to be with you, Nikki. Thank you. And with all of you. Mm. You know, I always have to ask every person I have on the show, what is your experience of this present moment, of this now? Mm. There are two things going on for me. One is deeply personal mm. and the other one is completely transpersonal. Mm. So maybe I'll start with the bigger 
experience of this moment, which is that it, it feels like a global dark night of the soul. And I know I'm not the only one using that language, but I have this Absolutely. particular intimacy with the language of John of the Cross, the 16th century Spanish mystic who coined that term dark night of the soul when everything just kind of breaks down and is stripped away. For John of the Cross, it was a, a deeply personal, almost private spiritual crisis for, mm. for people on the path, on the spiritual path when everything that used to kind of get us high on the spiritual path doesn't anymore. It all feels dry. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you, if you kind of surrender to that, it'll take you even deeper. And then all the concepts and belief systems start to fall away. You know, all the architecture that we, on which we built our spiritual lives just becomes meaningless it's kind of like an existential crisis, but with a deeper spiritual overtone. I would say that overtone is longing, you know, longing yeah. for union with the beloved. Mm. That underlies the pain and anguish of, of this falling away experience. So what does it look like globally? I think it looks like what we're seeing right now, mm. or the systems and structures that we had in place to give human life uh, a certain kind of meaning and security is just rattling and shaking and shattering even. And, and we're all being plunged into this state of radical unknowing. And, and the spiritual response to that, or the invitation, let's say, is to allow ourselves to not know. Mm-hmm. And collectively, you know, as a human family, how do we surrender into not knowing when the impulse is to fill in the emptiness? To, right, right. right. So I think that's what's going on. And people like Andrew Harvey, my dear friend, and and, uh, many others who are kind of evolutionary mystics are saying that this time of the great unraveling is a birth into a new, a collective new kind of divine humanity. If we can, if we can together take those lessons, right? So that's what, yeah what I think is going on on the, on the larger level. I like the word birth too, because it's painful, you know, but it's necessary and glorious. Exactly. And we're not doing it alone. We're in it together. Yeah. I think that the, the kind of patriarchal masculine paradigm has conditioned all of us on a spiritual path, you know, through all the world's great religious traditions Mm -hmm. to cultivate our personal salvation or liberation. And and, um, I think that what's going on now is a much more feminine, communal, collective, Mm -hmm. heart-centered process of transformation that we're all in together. What does that surrendering, that letting go either collectively or, you know, on a personal level to look like, like what did St. John, like what was that process for him? And what would that look like for us today to go deeper? Mm. So John of the Cross uses a a few analogies. And one that I really love is the, the master painter. So there's this incredible artist who thinks that we, each of us, are the most beautiful creatures in all of creation. 
And that master artist wants to paint our portrait, mm. and which we agree to do. We, I mean, we agree to sit for this for this masterpiece of us. <laughs> and so we we sit down and we we take our position and we settle in, and we have to be there for a while so the master mm. can do her her masterpiece. But after a while, we start to wonder if maybe we should be contributing something. Because, like, we're just sitting there. <laughs> Is there something I can do to make this, you know, better or work? Or... And, of course, all we do by engaging with the process at that point is interfere with the masterpiece. And oh, so that's good. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> just be still and be beautiful. <sighs> It's really hard to do, though. We are so conditioned to yeah. see these dark nights as problems to be solved rather than as these gorgeous invitations to inhabit the radiance of what is that we perceive as darkness, right? That's the dark night of the soul is actually just a misperception in a way of, of the radiance of the divine that's blinding to the eyes that are not yet um, accustomed to directly perceiving the light, which oh is what's goodness. happening. We're being flooded. I could talk to you all day. I literally <laughs> <laughs> speaking to you, Nikki. Oh, oh my goodness, what? you are amazing. All of it, every single word. Like I've read about dark nights of the soul. I've lived through a couple. Um, the way that you're speaking about it resonates deeply with me, and it's very powerful. And I've never heard those words. And I've read several translations of the mystics and the one that you're speaking about right now, St. John, and it did not hit like that. So I need, I have your translations of St. Teresa of Avila, but I do not have your translations of St. John of the Cross and Dark Night of the Soul. And I must, that will be a purchase that will be made as soon as we get off of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Wow. You're really good. Like you came here, you are fulfilling your purpose, you know, mm -hmm. bringing these messages to us in a way that we can hear them you know, and apply them or not and just be, <laughs> to just be. How did you get started? And uh, like, what's your journey? Well, that actually relates to the, you know, I said that there were two ways that I'm experiencing these times and one of them is personal. Mm -hmm. And I gave you the kind of transpersonal version, but the personal version for what's going on for me right now very much relates to how I started on this journey with the mystics, because it's always been for me, you know, those great periods of, of spiritual transformation, yes. like for you, Nikki, and I think for all of you who are listening, I'd be surprised if this wasn't the case, came, arose uh, in tandem with crisis and suffering. Mm. 100%. <laughs> yes. I don't know why she designed it that way, but I guess it's like childbirth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so um, I had a an early life that was characterized by a lot of major losses, death, a lot of death. And my, my brother, when I was seven, my first boyfriend, when I was 14, those were the wow. two childhood losses that were most profound for me and just sort of shattered the foundation. And oh, well, especially the 14 year old one, the first love. Yeah. Shattered the foundation of my, yeah. And, 
And, but the one, even when I was seven with my big beloved brother was really a portal opening to the other world, to the numinous. Mm -hmm. And that when you're a child, you're still so close to that anyway. So Mm -hmm. it it probably hadn't yet closed even, but it blew it right back open. And, and my connection to, to the spirit world and to the unseen was as real for me at that mm-hmm. point after Maddie's death um, as, as the world that I could see and perceive mm-hmm. with my senses. And then when Philip died, when I was 14, it was, it was, um, it was when I was really awakening to my spiritual life. Anyway, it, I was just given the name Mirabai by Ramdas. Wow. And after performing in a play where I, I played Mirabai in a musical that we wrote, that the children wrote, I went to a an alternative school in the mountains of northern New Mexico at Lama mm-hmm. Foundation. That was where Ramdas created Be Her Now. And so this school was very mm, special and very much rooted wow. in the arts and creative self-expression for the children. And we all, we wrote. How blessed. That's music. amazing. Yeah. Had Neem Crowley Baba devotees who were uh, our teachers, our drama and music teachers, and and so it was very special. And I had this mm. this transformational experience. So Philip died in in the middle of rehearsals, not during rehearsals, but during that period right. of creating this Mirabai play. And uh, and so by the time that the play opened, and I walked onto the stage, which was the big Adobe Dome at Lama. Mm. I was so shattered that she came pouring through. And I think that's really what started me most seriously on my path. I became a devotee of Neem Kroli Baba. I started to practice meditation and yoga and, and um, off we went. I started following Ram. I dropped out of high school and followed Ramdas around the country. And, and that was the beginning. Um, Powerful. And how old were you? I was 15. 15. Wow. That is beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and so were you, did crossed, you start like reading books at that time, like yes, that early too? Definitely reading everything. I mean, I'm sure I didn't understand most of it, but I was, mm-hmm. I was hungry for it. And I had, you know, adults who were excited by my interest in spiritual things. And so bet, they fed yeah. me. The, so of course I started with Be Here Now, um, mm-hmm. the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, the, all of yes. the sort of classics, the autobiography of Yogi, mm-hmm. um, and the books of Carlos Castaneda books, mm-hmm. and uh, all of the kind of Siddhartha, the books that people were reading then, including the including spiritual classics like the Bhagavad Gita and the Tao Te Ching. But I, um, yeah, I, so I read a lot. I practiced a lot. Lama Foundation was a place. I lived at Lama at that point and moved to Lama on my own. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was a place where, but it wasn't far, by the way, my parents lived in Taos, 25 miles away. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it, but Lama is a place where there were many, it was, it was and still is a confluence of many different wisdom streams and mystical mm-hmm. traditions and, and religions and practices. So I was exposed at a young age to, to so many, including uh, the Dances of Universal Peace, Merchant Samuel Lewis, and, the, and mm-hmm. the lineage of Hazra and Mayat Khan of Sufism. So there were a lot of early influences that that um what would you say carved deep beds in my soul that where those waters still flow yeah 
but the dark nights have been, you know, I think there are, there are several in our lives. You said you have had mm-hmm. a couple and, yeah. and th- those periods definitely stripped away all my beliefs and all my practices. There have been many times when it's like the hurricanes come and, and it just took all of the uh, artifacts of my life to the ground. So was since you started so young, and I know you've had your dark nights. Was there ever a time where you were not, like where you felt like you weren't on the path? I know we are never not, you know, but like, did it feel like there was ever a time where you were just like fully in the world and you were not doing the practices or immersed in the teachings um, like you would have been when you were younger or tap back in later? Such a great question, Nikki. Yes and no. Um, I would say I've tried a few times. Mm-hmm when those dark nights swept in and nothing felt real and I I became very cynical and I tried to fire Krishna. This is the way I put it. Or Maharaj, (laughs) it depends on. Right, right, exactly. Which name (laughs) you want to use. Same thing. (laughs) Right. And um, so I've tried a few times to just disconnect. I mean, in my, in my thirties, after a long abusive relationship with a charlatan, teacher, which I write about in my memoir, Caravan of No Despair. Um, I tried to do the sex, drugs, and rock and roll that I missed out on as a teenager because I was on a spiritual path and there was no, you know, no space for that. Yeah. And um, I I became the, the road manager for uh, a rock band. And I, you know, I just did all my sort of Mm-hmm. Um, rejected fantasies. I got to live yeah. them out for about five minutes, but it just yeah. didn't really work. I'm definitely not suited for mm-hmm. that kind of, it, it, it wasn't like I was missing anything. It was, it, it didn't do it. So yeah. um, I had, I had some fun and I had <laughs> learned some learning experiences, Exactly, <laughs> but I, it didn't take long before I was back, back at my puja table. Right. And I didn't need to have answers and I didn't need to have a reliable belief system. I didn't trust the prescribed ways of being and, and relating to the great mystery, but mm-hmm. I did uh, trust something deeper and more nameless that I discovered not in spite of the shattering, but through the, the portal that, that opened for me. Yeah. And so I have this kind of combination, I would say, still to this day of a of a non-dual spiritual life mm-hmm. and a deeply devotional heart. Oh, I love that. I think that we are the same <laughs> I think in everything too. that you just said. I mean, even from like finding that deepening and the shattering, like I remember moments where the despair was so great. And it was in that moment when I was when the love announced itself the most, you know, and to see, to feel that in those moments, I'm like, well, this is freedom because Nikki's completely broken here, but love is here too. And it's more real, you know, than Nikki is. And then like practicing that continuously until you see that it doesn't have to be practiced, you know, and just kind of living it. And then trying to trust it, <laughs> you know, when the new situations, the seeming situations come, but mm. wow. 
You know, I can feel everything that you say. So at what point did you start translating these great texts? By the way, Thank I just texts. love, yeah, <laughs> I just love everything you just said too, by the way. I love that. Oh, about you. Thank you. I love how that those times of despair for you were mm-hmm. openings to that greater love. And it takes, it does take a lot of practice, doesn't it? To just, as you yeah. have practiced, I know I Ooh. followed you. You yeah, just it's keep been a showing lot. up. <laughs> It has been a lot, but it's been worth it. And I always say like I suffer, but now the suffering is happening in love and I can help others that are suffering because we're all suffering, you know, we're suffering and we can help each other, you know, and I have a million practices I've tried, you know, some are more effective than others and they're all permission slips, you know, because the love is here. It's just a matter of recognizing it, remembering, waking up to it, returning to it over and over and over again. Yeah. And different practices seem to work better at different times Mm. or just resonate more. I mean, just this morning I was, you know, I do my practices every morning and I, you know, I have a meditation practice and I do different things to kind of lead me in, right? Because I need, I have the kind of mind that needs an anchor. So same, same, same. (laughs) Most of us do. And, um, and so all of a sudden I picked up the prayer book from Kenshi Ashram, Neem Karoli Baba's Ashram in, in India. And I have it. I yes. Have it. The one with the songs, right? Is that yes, the one with all? yes, I have it. <laughs> and I've done those prayers many times. I've done them there at Kenshi, but mm-hmm. I hadn't really opened that book in ages. And this morning I opened it and it was just like, whew, it just yes. brought right back to the center of my heart to take my seat and that lotus in my heart. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And I, I don't have to work tomorrow, right? It exactly. Might, <laughs> might not work tomorrow, but it worked today. And that is all that matters. <laughs> oh, so great. how did I start translating? Mm-hmm. Well, when I, so I told you I was on a Sufi path from a young age, you know, yes. along with my name, Crowley Baba path, they were kind of together, they were braided. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really I had been connected to all of the major spiritual traditions except Christianity. So I grew up in a non-religious Jewish household and learned nothing about Judaism from my parents. But I did meet Reb Zalman, Shakhtar Shalomi, the great 20th century mystic, um, and studied with him as a teenager. So I kind of reclaimed my Jewish roots through that Jewish renewal movement, Mm -hmm. Um, Sufism, Hinduism, Buddhism through my practices. And then various indigenous traditions, but particularly of of the Taos Pueblo people here in Taos, New Mexico, where I still live. Mm-hmm. I've been most hands-off with the with indigenous and native traditions because of my just innate, long before it was a thing, my innate concerns about cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, yeah. I just knew somehow not to go there. The colonization, the specter of colonization was so clear to me from from an early age um but i was directly taught some things by the taos pueblo elders so basically Mm -hmm. all the spiritual traditions except christianity partly because there was a real suspicion of christianity in my jewish family my non-religious jewish family but um also because of what i observed with evangelical christians and Mm -hmm. but i was always drawn to the kind of magic of the of northern new mexico has a has deep roots in Spanish Catholicism yes. and it's folk religion and it's 
very alive and very real and very yeah. shamanic and powerful. So I, I was always attracted to that, but I always loved the mystics. And I'd heard about the Spanish mystics, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross all along. But then when I was 20, I spent six months living in Spain, studying Spanish literature, and I encountered John of the Cross and his ecstatic love poetry to God. Mm. And it reminded me so much of Rumi, the the great Persian poet. And I just fell in love with John of the Cross. And so I taught, then later I I earned um, an advanced degree in philosophy and religious studies. And I taught at the University of New Mexico here in Taos Mm. for years, philosophy and religious studies. And I would teach John of the Cross in translation, particularly the dark night of the soul. And my students were just bored to death. You know, it's kind of like you were saying, Nikki, read it. And I was yes. like, it wasn't resonating. Yeah. No. And finally, a colleague said, why don't you translate? Translate Dark Night of the Soul. You're fluent in Spanish. You love this text so much, which I did. It really spoke to my soul. And you love language. You're a writer. I was writing, you know, poetry and fiction at the time, yeah. not getting published. But that's what I was writing. Yeah. I did have a couple of personal essays published in the Sun magazine, mm-hmm. which I love so much that gave me courage. But so I did it. I did it. My friend hooked me up with his agent. It was published by Riverhead, the spiritual wow. at the time of, of Penguin. So there were no challenges. It just like smooth sailing. Exactly. I'm sorry to say that to those of you who have been desperately trying to get published, but it's like music. You know, it's like the music yeah. industry. Some yeah. people just sort of get lucky and that it's the right thing at the right moment and off mm-hmm. they go. And I think that's what happened in my publishing career. It just one thing led to another and publishers began asking me for translations of, of the mis- Spanish mystics. And, and I went on to Teresa Vavila, who I wow. fell deeply in love with, even though I totally wasn't attracted to her at first, but yeah. they're yeah. translating her. But, you know, I know we're probably getting toward the end here. So I will get to this moment where, and I know many of you know this story, uh, if you followed my work at all, but the day that my first book came out, which was the translation of Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross, my 14-year-old daughter, Jenny, was killed in a car accident. Mm. And this plunged me into the most radical, transformational, shattering darkness that I ever could have imagined. And John of the Cross was my companion through this, but nobody could be either, really. Nobody could accompany me. Nothing could hold me. Nothing could console me. But it was a massive coincidence Mm. (laughs) that these two things happened at the same time. The release into the world of kind of these quintessential teachings on being present to that Oh, shattering darkness, that radical unknowing, that unbearable anguish, and mm. and losing the center of my existence, which was my child. I can't imagine. And so, as you can see, the death of my brother, Maddie, when I was seven, of, of my boyfriend, Philip, when I was 14, of mm. my daughter, Jenny, when I was 40, and many deaths in between, by the way, but those mm-hmm. were the three big ones. Well, Jenny's was eclipsed, Jenny's eclipsed all the others, right. uh, were all these moments of um, 
everything going up in flames and the whole forest of my life being reconfigured. Mm. And so now, a dozen books later and 20 mm. years later, I just turned 60. I was just no diagnosed. Way. You look amazing. Oh, thank you, my dear. You're a fashion person, so I appreciate it. No, you are glowy. Like, I mean, clearly it's the light, right? Appearing <laughs> of you. But wow, I wouldn't have guessed 60. Thank you, love. So, um, so just turned 60 and I was just diagnosed with early stage melanoma. Mm. And uh, it all happens very fast, you know, when you get a diagnosis and then surgery. Oh, yes. And yes, now yes, I'm recovering yes. completely cancer-free as we anticipated ah. I would be. But, and the portal that that opened in mm. my soul has been so powerful and beautiful. And I'm so grateful because it made me stop, disengage, because mm. COVID didn't do it. I was traveling all the time before COVID, you know, the last 20 years, just on the road so much. I was so tired. I was having wonderful adventures, teaching and speaking and, you Mm -hmm. know, connecting with all these wonderful communities, but I was really burned out and I didn't know how to get off that train. So along came the pandemic and it was off the train, you know, I was home. Yay, Mm -hmm. I could be home. I can bake bread. I can walk in the mountains every day with my dogs. But suddenly I was being called constantly to speak and teach online. It was like the need was greater than ever. Yes, yes. And although I thought I was being discerning in what I said yes to, I was absolutely bombarded. And yeah. And I I could feel something was not going to hold up. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so when the diagnosis came, I had enough friends and mentors to say, Mirabai, you must disengage from everything you think you love and all the things you think you ought to do. And there were lots of both of those categories. Yeah, I bet. And I'm in the middle of that now. You are one of the only people I've said yes to in a long time, Nikki, and will for a long time to come. I feel truly blessed. Like when I received that response from you, I wasn't expecting it because I didn't read that post until after I had made the request. And so after I saw the post that you said you were taking like a sabbatical, I'm like, oh, well, hopefully I'll catch her, you know, after it's over. And when you replied, I'm like, oh, this is God. It's love, you know. And I know that every time I have an encounter with someone, um, it's for a reason. And I know that reason more, like I suspected it, but just to hear your words and to feel the love, you know, that they're coming from, I'm deeply grateful, deeply grateful. And just having come from Ram Dass's house for the first time, I guess that was like two weeks ago now. It's been oh. beautiful. It's been great. I, I went to his house like three times during the seven days that I was in Hawaii. I kept going back and it's like an hour drive every time, <laughs> but it was worth it every single time. Powerful can you, place. Can you say more about that? Have you already talked about it on a podcast that I you know missed? what? I don't think I talked about it here yet. It was tremendous. You know, I in January of this year, I felt called to go to Maui. And I didn't really know why. I mean, I've definitely been more tuned in to Ram Das and Neem Karoli Baba just being a part of this network. And it heated up like in May. June of 2020. And then by November, everyone that's listening right now, you should know, November 28th, 2020, I started chanting like a more rigorous practice of 16 rounds of the Maha Mantra every morning and four at night. And now it's 16 in the morning and 16 at night. And it's it really helped to ground me. And it 
made me get up earlier in the morning and just be consistent and make like a promise to myself to take back some time to not be anything to anyone for a couple of hours every single day to not have to be mommy or Nikki or Curly Nikki. And I feel like my new podcast, Good Mornings with Curly Nikki, was born from that practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was about January when I started getting the idea to do a daily show just to go with the mornings because I would feel this love so strongly and I wanted to share it and not just in words on Instagram. But I also started feeling like Maui. I just, it was everywhere. Everywhere I turned, there was a conversation happening about Maui. And then, you know, I reached out to some people that are based there and, you know, they're like, yeah, you should come. This was like April now. And they're like, you should come. I'm like, maybe July when the kids are out of school, but I'm just, you know, maybe, and it's a lot of money to get there. And then when you get there, it's a lot of money. And so the guy, one of the guys, Sita Ramdas, who I love, he's an author now. Oh, he's the one he kept pushing. So he kept emailing like, Hey, I'm connecting you with people in Maui. Did you get your tickets yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't spent all that money yet. Give me a minute. (laughs) And so I, I think I decided at one point not to go. And that weekend, my mom and I went to the beach and there was a woman that walked past with a gorgeous tattoo and I'm in the market for some tattoos. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that is so cute. You know, where'd you go? And she's like, oh, I got it when I was in Maui. I'm like, oh, okay. Interesting. And so then just like that same day later, you know, I could overhear a conversation. These women were like, yeah, we just got back from Maui and we're in Florida, you know? And I'm like, okay, twice in a day. So when I got home, I started looking at tickets and I asked my mom if she wanted to go because she's helped so much with the kids during the pandemic and she needed a break and a change of scenery. And she said, yeah, of course. And I found us tickets and I got us booked and got us some sponsors to help pay (laughs) for the experience. Um, And we went in July, mid-July. And I knew I was going to go to Ram Dass's home. I knew I was going to meet many people that had met him and worked with him, but I don't really know what I was expecting. And so when I went on my second day, it was a Tuesday, like Hanuman's day, I knew yeah. I had to go. And I wasn't even going to have a ride back because Ramdas lived in like the middle of nowhere and there were no Ubers available, but I was going to go anyway and just have to deal with figuring out how to get home. And luckily, thankfully, the person I had met the first moment I got there, the Uber driver, she had given me her number because of some spiritual stuff. We were talking about some things unrelated, like she needed help starting a podcast. And I told her I'd send her everything I knew. And so when I needed a ride back from his home that night, late, like at 10 p.m., I messaged her earlier in the day and she's like, of course, I'll give you a ride. I'd love to come and get you. So boom, had the ride, went there, got the tour of the home. And it was powerful, but I did not feel anything like that until I walked like over that threshold into his bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even being in the room where he was, you know, after he had transitioned and they had his body and being there in that space and being in a study with the amazing books. Like I felt like I was in heaven. I'm like, oh, these are the books like sitting right by his chair. It's so cool. Like I took pictures so that I can make sure I add those to my collection, but stepping over that threshold. I stood there and couldn't move. It was like a very palpable. Mm. There's been, for the last two to three years, I wake up at 3 a.m. on the dot with no alarm. And generally speaking, I go back to sleep. But oftentimes there's a vibration that I become aware of. And I don't know if that's what wakes me up or what, but I'm aware of this very delicious like energy. And I had never felt it 
like that powerfully and that strongly and that purely until I stepped into his room. Mm. I could feel that. And I didn't say anything. I was with Dasima and his friend Peggy, I believe. Mm. Um, and later I told someone at the house and they were like, oh yeah, if you said that to anybody, we know like that's, there's, there's love, you know, everywhere, but it's in that room for sure. It feels like it's there. <laughs> like there's a vortex, a center there. And I had dinner, you know, that night with everyone that was building the temple out in the backyard and it was dark. So I didn't get to see any of the grounds that evening. But when I came back the second time and then the third time, and I don't even like to drive, I rented a car mm-hmm. and I was driving up and through those mountains, like by myself. And I had my music and I'm singing and chanting. Wow. And it was just, and owls are my thing. And there's a picture of an owl right at the top of the street. I'm sure you know. And I don't know why, but to see that, just everything felt like home. It felt yeah. like home, the whole experience. And everyone I met, beautiful. Everybody was so sweet and warm and welcoming. And I could have stayed there. I could live in Maui for sure. And I'm going to go back, God willing, for the retreat. And I hope to see you. Oh, good. Yes, yeah. we will all be there together. How wonderful. I just oh. booked that yesterday. <laughs> Yay, so my I'm ticket so is booked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I saw your name. I'm like, oh, got to get there. Got to make this happen. And Krishna oh. Das, uh, his music carried me through the pandemic. Oh, like, I bet, I bet his music through. carried <laughs> a lot of people through the pandemic. Oh, How perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Well, that's the long story, long story, you know, but it's, it's only deepened everything. And I got, you know, more pictures. There are already pictures all over my house. Like my house has become a shrine too. Yeah. You know, just like little reminders of love everywhere. Um, Um, But yeah. And I'm still drinking chai. Thanks to Dasima. Like I have like an empty glass, right? (laughs) (laughs) Hugs in a cup. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you, Nikki, for sharing that. Yes, yes, yes. How many times have you been back to the home since he made his transition? I have not been back. So yeah. this will be the first time when I am there for the retreat in December. Mm. But I have nice. had many happy times in that in that house, chanting oh, yeah. and eating and <laughs> laughing and crying. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> so what would you tell someone that's interested, like their curiosity is piqued about like St. John of the Cross or this dark night of the soul, where should they start? Because it's a lot. It's a lot of reading. Like, where would you say for them to begin this journey? Mm, Thank you for asking that question. Well, as as we've said, I I did translate his his spiritual masterpiece, Dark Night of the Soul, which was a poem and then a prose commentary on the poem, and also Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle and her autobiography, The Book of My Life. And they're all just a joy to read. They were certainly a joy to translate, but it's a bit of a commitment. Um, in the uh, in two of my books, I summarize both John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. Uh, in ways that I think are very contemporary and relatable. And so I do that in in Caravan of No Despair, which Ramdas helped me title, by the way, my memoir. That's excellent. <laughs> Caravan of No Despair, I have a chapter on John of the Cross, Dark Knight of the Soul, and a chapter on Teresa Vavila, uh, the interior castle, that I think are, are definitely kind of the distilled essence of those oh, perfect. Pages. 
but also in Wild Mercy, my new book, which you told me you saw next to Ram Dass's chair. Yeah. <laughs> Wild Mercy is also a, a place where I even further distill the essence of those of those teachings. Mm. And in Wild Mercy, I really reclaim all of the of the great wisdom teachings of the world through a feminine lens. Nice. Because I think many of the of the spiritual paths and teachings and teachers that we cherish, all of us, and mm-hmm. that many of us consider to be kind of alternative, like Sufi or Hindu or Buddhist, mm-hmm. are still characterized by this masculine model. You know, that these scriptures were written by men and form it for a male experience. And, and so in Wild Mercy, I take a look at all of those cherished spiritual teachings and practices and teachers through this lens of reclaiming feminine wisdom. So Mm -hmm. how do we look at the dark night of the soul, not as this rigorous, austere uh, tapas or um, renunciation that, you know, where we beat ourselves into submission, Mm -hmm. but rather as these deep invitational feminine spaces of connecting with the heart of the human condition rather than trying to transcend it. I love that. That's powerful. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your canon of books in this space. And how can everyone follow you? How can we keep up when you get back from your healing and your time? How can we keep up with you? Well, my website's always a good place to track my events. Um, I am teaching in in Maui in November and December, although those are full. Um, But I, I do various online teachings now from time to time, very selectively. And those will be mm-hmm. on my website. And I really don't know what's next except for another book. Nice. You know, there's mm-hmm. another book brewing and teaching will be happening much more according to the will of the great mother now, mm-hmm. rather than my little opinion on the matter. And so I I, I'm sitting in the mystery of that as we speak, but my Beautiful. website's a good place to track what's going on. Good. It sounds like you said you're sitting for your painting now, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're not getting up and running around <laughs> and grabbing Thank other you. colors. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Thank you for giving me back that teaching. I just, I needed to make that connection. Perfect. I'm yes. never going to forget that teaching. I'm never going to forget it. Thank you for that. That was, that hit hard, <laughs> deeply. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to. Thank you, my soul family. What a joy to be with you, Nikki, to be continued, you and I. I have a feeling. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to see you in December and hopefully many times thereafter and definitely virtually. And I'm going to read everything and listen. I saw there's a couple of audio situations. I like to listen. Um, I'm going to make that happen too. And yeah, thank you. And again, everyone, thank you so much. Um, I'll be back very soon. You can check me out every single day, Monday through Sunday on my other podcast, Good Mornings with Curly Nikki. And we'll chat soon. I love you.